in a lot, <clears throat> not a lot of time that you have that is dedicated to just no schedule, no appointments, no time frame, just to sit, marinate, listen. It's so non-conducive to our kept up, time-conscious, runaway train called society. But one of the things that we have to come to grips with still takes time for some things. And I don't want to be carnal, but as much immediate, instant things that we are uh, kind of become used to, instant this, instant that, instant the other, the, the, uh, all of the advanced knowledge and even knowing the gender of the child before birth and all this kind of, yeah, all of these things. We, we're, we're, we're geared up now. In fact, one of the things that's so devastating in the political world is people who are elected to office are becoming the culprit over things that happened to people in their administration before they were ever picked for the, how, how could they have known but yet the politician is held responsible for things. We, we are getting so desirous of advanced knowledge that we are creating a situation, and, and as Brother Pugh talked about a while ago, a generation of people are a, uh, whatever you would refer to it, they, they finally implode upon themselves. They, they literally come to rebel against their own. And I don't, uh, I don't think we're far from that kind of a situation in our country. We are creating such impossible demands in every way. The, uh, the thing that I'm feeling here today, I offered to forego my my time slot or whatever, uh, and and for the best of the conference, whatever for Brother Morgan, what he feels, uh, I, I would be so happy to forego any of my time. But yet, I'll have to admit that I have felt few things that I would like to share with you today, and I trust that it would be a, a blessing to you. Uh, let me preface what I'll go to the scripture and things that I'll try to share with you to get my point across to you. I would like to share with you 
one of the probably most important attributes that you have are lessons that you will learn. Now, I, I would trust that it would be a natural attribute of yours. But if it's not a natural attribute, for God's sakes, let it become, become a learned behavior. A man that's going to go anywhere in the ministry has got to have confidentiality about himself. Some people, as you well know, their philosophy is have knowledge will tell. But there's a, a kingdom that is not geared and not patterned after the philosophy that the news media of this country espouses. We're not trying to sell newspapers. We're not trying to sell magazines. We're not the first, we're not the, in a race to be the first one to break the news or to tell the story. There are some things that by virtue of our mission, our purpose, and what we are actually in this business for, there are some things that have to be held in private and in confidence and even in secret until such time as God will allow it to be shared. And people who do not know how to hear something and then keep it until it would be proper for it to be told. I think you will understand with me and agree with me that that quality or that commodity is a rare situation in our society. I have a <clears throat> very dear friend and I thought about maybe going on into the lesson a little further before I share this, this little story. But maybe I, maybe I would be better or it would be better for me to go ahead and tell it up front and that way you get the picture of what I am driving at. I have a friend, pastors in Eunice, he and I love to share sermon notes and sermon, sermon thoughts and ideas, and especially sermon illustrations. We, we that, that's some of the, uh, he deals with the sound system at the campground in Tioga, and of course I'm there, youth camps, and <coughs> we have time together sometimes to just sit and, and talk. And that's when we get caught up with our latest sermon ideas and illustrations. But he told me about, about a, a dog that he had ordered. It was one of these 
advertisements about a hunting uh, special breed of hunting dog, and he said, "I wanted, I wanted me a high class, high quality, good blooded hunting dog." So he said, he ordered the dog, <clears throat> came with great, uh, great credentials, and <clears throat> he said. <clears throat> If I'm, he might not want me to tell any, any of this, but I, if I remember right, he paid like $1,500 for this puppy, just a, just a puppy. And had the promise to be a very high quality hunting dog. He said he, uh, they got the dog and of course, everybody was looking forward to the dog being with, you know, being at, at home. And they, he was so, so young, and they just got to treat him like he was a house pet or yard dog. And he said, uh, we enjoyed him. And he said, I didn't, I didn't uh, get in a real rush to get the puppy over to the trainer that was going to. I was choosing to use as the one who trained my dog in his potential. And he said, finally, I got the puppy over to the man that was going to train the dog for me. And he said, I was really anticipating that dog. We were going to have fun hunting together. He said, when I was thinking that the dog would be ready, he said, I got a call from the man that was to be the, the trainer for, the, for my dog. He said, Reverend, he said, I got some good news and some bad news. He said, what do you want first? He said, well, I guess give me the bad news. He said, let me reverse it. He said, let me give you the good news first. He said, you're going to have a good pet. But for the bad news, you don't have a hunting dog. He said, uh, <clears throat> man, what, what happened? I've spent all this money to get a high bred, high class, great credential, what, what, what? He said, I really don't know. He said, it could have been that maybe y'all kept him around the house, around the yard, as part of the family too long. I, I don't know, he said, I'm just, just surmising. But he said, the problem with the dog, he's got all the characteristics that he needs, all the talent that he needs to be the hunting dog that you expect him to be. But he said the thing that, uh, that disqualifies him is he will stay put on a covey of quails 
as long as he can see his master. But if he ever gets to where he can't see his master, he does what we talk about in dog language. He breaks faith. And he'll move to a position to see his trainer at the expense of flushing the quail that he's supposed to be hunting for him. He said, so you've got you a good house, dog. He'll be, a, he'll be a jam up house dog. But he's no good for hunting. I said that to establish the point that I'm wanting to get across to you today. Is when you are committed to a certain trust whatever you've got to do to stay true to that commitment you die before you move and there's all kind of reasons I'm sure the little puppy thought he was, had some padable traits. Maybe a trait that should have given most dogs a biscuit. But accolades and rewards doesn't, well, that's just not in order for a, a dog that can't be true to his mission. You don't get rewarded in this business for breaking faith. You only get the reward when you stay put for the long haul. The thought that I want to give to you, and it's another one of those sermon titles. I went ahead on through this one and put it back behind because I knew I kind of felt that I might talk about this one a little bit today. But the title of the thought that I want to talk to you for the next little bit about, it's simply called Divine Secrets for divine purpose. To give you just a little hint in reality of a scriptural setting, a biblical example, we all tip our hats to the mention of Abraham's name. Abraham and Sarah 
known in biblical language with some of the greatest accolades that has been afforded. Friend of God. You name it. Heroes of faith listed in the Hall of Fame. So many beautiful things. But he was made private to a promise. And it was so right that he have that promise. And it was so right that that promise came to pass. The only thing about it is he didn't have the rest of what it took. He had the faith to believe for the promise and he had the faith to believe that the promise and its extended knowledge to him, all of that was true. But it was the time between the promise and its fulfillment. There was something in there that he lacked. Call it breaking faith. Call it whatever you want to. He was so convinced of the promise that the temptation was just a little bit beyond his ability to handle. He was so convinced about the promise that he agreed to help God accommodate it with human reasoning. And he and Sarah the one who were to be the victors because of the promise, concocted in their own minds a way for the promise to be fulfilled through human reasoning. And thus, we until this day still fight the fight of the Ishmaelites because of a promise that became known to the one being promised to. And he didn't have the patience to wait for it to be fulfilled the way God wanted it to happen. The knowledge <clears throat> of a secret from the Lord it's going to be just about as important for you to know how to handle that promise and how to handle that secret and how to handle things that are told to you and spoke to, spoken to you in confidence. It's going to be about as important for you to know how to handle it as for you to have the sensitivity to get it. Did I, did I say that in a way that you can understand what I'm saying? There's a trait and a characteristic that I think is so commendable 
for you to have the sensitivity to learn these things about God and to learn these secrets and to learn these promises. Be clued in. But it's going to be just as important, if not more so, for you to learn how to handle it and how to keep it. Under wraps if you want to. Until God gets ready for it to be revealed. Divine secrets for divine purpose. Matthew 17. Let me, let, let, let me, the reason I want to read this setting, not just to take up time, but I want you to put yourself in this setting. And I, I really want us, as we read along in this, I want, I want you to put yourself there. Now, we had a golden moment here a while ago when something that God promised or God gave a a, a, a revelation, a, a, a dream, or a vision years ago to our dear brother J.T. Pugh. And just a few moments ago, just beyond that black rail right there, we saw this come to the knowledge of the man that God had used to give the vision years ago. And we were, we were a part of watching him respond to the thing that he learned and saw in a picture of an individual that God had given him a vision of many years ago concerning revival in China. So there, there's, there's something that's so special about this meeting and there's something so unique about God's ability and God's way to, to, uh, to, to give the, f what the, the premonition maybe, uh, the, the forewarning or just clue you in enough to know a little bit about what, but then to trust you, to hold you at bay with what you know until the time I, I want you to put yourself in this situation and, uh, and, and, and I want you to read your own reaction and, and say it this way, if I had been there, how would it have impacted me? And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart and was transfigured before them. Has anybody ever seen anybody transfigured? Would you agree with me it's not a common everyday occurrence? And was transfigured. Now, I did not take time uh, in my preparation for the message and all, to go to the encyclopedias or uh, dictionaries and find out all of the attributes of transfiguration. But 
just common everyday sense was that what appeared to be the humanity, the visible image of Jesus Christ transfigured. Am I safe in saying that, that he was sort of moved into another appearance? Would, would that be? In other words, he, he, he started looking like something beyond what I was visualizing him in actuality just before this transfiguration started. Am, am I? I'm just using human analogy here instead of uh, encyclopedias and dictionaries. But, but, but think with me. Jesus was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. Are, are, you, are you following it? And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. What if Brother Morgan's up here preaching and all of a sudden Moses and Elias is up there with him and they're talking and we're just sitting here looking. I'm, I'm trying to put it in a way that you and I can understand what a dynamic moment this was. It was not just ladies prayer meeting on Tuesday night, folks. It was, it was something a little bit beyond the norm. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us. Depend on Simon Peter. Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles. One for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. Man, they, they, they're ready to start a building program. We had a move of God. We're fixing it. While he yet spake, Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. It was back to just him. Cloud was gone. White raiment was gone. 
Moses and Elias were gone. And here he is, standing there with them, comforting. Get up now, it's okay. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. That happened one more time. The other time was when Jesus asked, Whom the men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And that's when they all run the gamut of who all they had heard talk and some of the rumors that the different ones thought he was Elias or this one or that one. And Jesus said, but whom say ye that I? And that's when, I, I, I love to see it. Jesus kind of alluded to it. He said, Simon, flesh and blood hadn't revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven on this rock. What did he say? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was on that occasion that upon leaving that session, Jesus told them, he said, now, what you heard today, don't tell anybody about it. You hold that. Hold it close to your heart until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Now, Jesus, I thought what all this was about is to get your story around to the rest of the world. I thought that's what our mission was. And now one of the greatest things we've ever seen happen, you're telling us to keep quiet about it. I, I just, I, 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 can't, I can't get it all together here. I can't understand this. You talk about confusion now. I'm, I'm confused. Oh, I'm telling you. Somebody listen to me and listen to me well. When you get involved in holy things, you lay your own ideologies on the altar and you leave it sanctified in the Holy Ghost. And don't you let your lack of understanding cause you to be confused because you and your flesh will never understand the secrets of the Lord until God gets ready for you to know. I, I, I thought that's what all this was about. I don't understand. He left enough in his telling them to stay quiet about it. He did leave the back door open as we were talking about a while ago, brother. He didn't say you just shut up about it and as though it never happened. He said you keep it until. And there will be a time that that knowledge will be called for. 
but until it's called for, you keep it a secret. And you thank God that you were in the place to be private to something that's sacred and that's special and that beautiful. I think all of you already know where I'm headed, what this actually meant. The thing that Jesus knew he had to have, he had to have men that could serve as witnesses to divine order. He had to have men that was going to help transcend the moment of right now and what is happening going to have to carry it into tomorrow beyond Calvary, beyond the death, beyond the resurrection. They had to carry the knowledge of all of this into the church of tomorrow that that cross was going to be instrumental in purchasing. God always, in fact, let me rephrase, God has limited himself to having to use humanity to accomplish his purpose. Just to be honest with you, there's a lot of times that I've seen man fumble the ball and mess the plan of God up. God never left himself without a second plan though. Please understand, God does know how to fix what humanity messes up. Don't ever underestimate God. God knows everything that's going to take place and he knows everything that he's got to cover and he knows everything he's got to fix. And he will not leave himself without a way to get it back on course. I think probably you could think of some things that, that would fit right, right handily right there in that uh, there, there's a whole lot of fellas that God was depending on and, 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 and really was, de- was, was, was counting on helping him with but just because they failed or could, they broke faith or they, uh, they, they, they uh, distrusted denied Forsook, name it what you want to. We deal with all of these human traits, but God never leaves himself without a plan. And if he needs to, he'll have him a plan to back up the plan that Satan fought. You say, oh, I don't know about that. Well, you don't know too much about the Jewish maiden, the little Jewish bride that he was intending to. But because that one turned their back and wouldn't have him but put him on a cross, there was a little blonde-haired, as I heard somebody say, a a preacher preach, blue-eyed Gentile maiden when he was coming from the purpose from Calvary and saw I, I loved it when 
the preacher said, little darling, can you, could you hold the hand that's got a nail scar in it? Oh, yes. Could, could, could you follow somebody that's got scars from thorns? Well, let your mind run wild. But if you don't think God has an alternative plan when man messes things up, look at the reason you and I are a part of the church of the living God this very day. Because God had a backup plan. He turned to a Gentile bride where the Jewish the beautiful thing the beautiful thing about God's way God's plan according to the scripture Scripture talks about if they had known who he was, if they had perceived of him being who he was, the Lord. They would not have crucified him. The bottom line is Jesus knew that if the information that he had just experienced and the confession that Simon Peter had just made, if this knowledge got into the wrong hands, Calvary itself could have been aborted. Because the, the, the adversary that was to carry him to the cross would have lost heart and would have given up. But thank God that Satan didn't find out about it. Thank God that somebody kept the secret. Thank God that somebody kept that beautiful miracle to themselves until Calvary could be accomplished. Jesus could be crucified and mine and your salvation was bought with the price that it took to bring it. I'm glad somebody kept the secret. And Calvary was not aborted. And because he was willing to keep a secret, I am honest when I tell you that, well, the scripture says it, but I am honest when I tell you if Satan would have known who was going to that cross that day, he would have done everything he could to have stopped it because it was that cross and who he carried to that cross and the price that was paid there that gave Satan his greatest 
blow in defeat. I thank God for Calvary. I thank God for the blood that was shed there. I thank God for my salvation that was purchased there. But it could have been aborted that easily if the information had gotten into the wrong hands at the wrong time. Because God not only has the secret, He has the timing. He knows when to get the people out knowledgeable that need to know for His plan to be qualified. He knows exactly when the price is to be paid. He knows everything about it. And he knows even who to share the mystery or the secret with to protect it for the sake of divine purpose. Now, that's the, that's the setting and really right there is where I would like to start to preach the message because this is where all of us live. We live in that in-between time and there are so many things that happen in our lives and one of our greatest one of our greatest enemies is to have just enough knowledge of something. But yet not to know the full story. And for us to have to live with the lack of understanding that we have about it all. It's just very difficult for us to live perpetual state of not knowing. But if you ever get just a little bit too weighted down with some of the knowledge and some of the things that you're having to carry, some of the, some of the inspirations and some of the visions and some of the dreams and, 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 and some of the things that God has shared with you in prayer. If it gets to be just a little bit heavy for you to handle, just get somewhere and get you a piece of paper and write yourself a message. And you just simply put down, I write this one off as a divine secret kept for a divine time to be revealed later. And this is, one of the, this is one of the places where we have some of our greatest struggles with our adversary. If you were so tight with God, 
he'd let you know what you need to know right now. He wouldn't put something out there and just tease you with it, would he? You need to know, don't you, to be effective. You need to know to have the right sanity of your... You need to know for your position's sake. You need to know because people are looking to you for answers. And Satan will run you ragged and, 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 and drive you crazy because of things you don't know. But you've got to learn how that God does some things because it's his divine order. And he does it because he is protecting something that's further down the road that's a whole lot more important than him telling you what his secret is right now. I guess... One of the hardest things for all of us to deal with we can deal with sickness we can deal with pain we can deal with a whole lot of things but one of the things that's very difficult for all of us to deal with is to appear. To be a failure. I sung a song years ago. I, I still, to this day, don't know who wrote that song. And really it sounds like something Joan would write. But the title of the song, and I guess I could run reference and find out who sung it or who wrote it, but I love the voice of the guy that I did hear sing it. But it went something like this. Don't spare me trouble if this will bring me close to you. Don't spare me sickness if this will make me call on you. Don't spare me heartache you bore a broken heart for me. Don't spare me anything that you on don't spare me I forget all of the words but one gets to the place don't spare me failure if this will make me call on thee 
will spare me anything. But you endure it. I wish there was a way that I could take and capsule all of the beautiful points that you have been exposed to in Brother Morgan's preaching and Brother, Brother Pugh's awesome way of weaving the stories around, tying ends together that really you don't know if they're ever going to come together while he's telling the story. And then all of a sudden, he finds the two ends of the cord and ties them together and you see the picture what he's saying. I wish I knew how to take it all together and, and capsule it to give you one, one pill that upon swallowing that pill, all of it could become experience that you have lived through. But you know what's so sad is that you can learn everything you can learn by what Brother Morgan said, what Brother Pugh said, what you read out of books, all of the things that you, you, you can learn, everything you can possibly learn about that. But still, the only way it's ever really become a part of your living is for you to experience it in your own life. But if I could encourage you, don't frustrate about the things that you've been clued in on that you have to hold in secret. The time will come when it shall be called for and you will be the one to have the answer. When you get revelations or God speaks to you about people that you minister to and you've got things that you know, please, you be sure you keep that in the greatest of confidence until God lets you know it's time now for you to come forth with what I clued you in on. some of you, you've got things that, that's tucked beneath your heart. You've got things in your spirit. You've got dreams that you have held. And really, you have not really shared to the, to the, to the magnitude that it came to you. You have not shared that with a lot of people. In fact, some you're afraid to share it because you're afraid it would almost be like pearl before swine. You've got to even share the beautiful things about the secrets of God with people that understand what's going on or you'll be made fun of. You'll be misunderstood. It don't take you but about one time to cast your pearl before swine and you watch them nose around on it a while till they get it nearly buried in the mud to where you got to dig for it to see it again yourself. 
don't let don't let the hogs bury your pearls. Keep it. Ponder it. Take it out at the right time when you need encouragement. Take it out. risk another view because one more view of that treasure though you haven't seen its fulfillment one more view will give me the strength to go another day and another day will put me one day closer to seeing its fulfillment just enjoy Knowing the secrets until God says, it's time now. Let's reveal it. I love you. Ladies, I know enough about us, and, and it's dwindled down to us, and that's not a negative statement, but this is perfect for what we need to do here today. Matter of fact, Brother Alpha, if y'all, Brother Charles, if y'all come over here just a second, I want to talk to you, and uh <clears throat> share some things with you I'm not going to teach um, Brother Ewing has well it's just all come to this moment yeah. it really has it's come to this moment and I deeply deeply thank you Elder for what you just enlightened us with again I wish somebody would have told me that a few years ago because I know what it's like to have to go dig the pearl out from the mud, clean it back up. And uh, but anyway, what what I want to talk to you about, brother Eddings, want to run after some stuff is um, everybody here today basically is already involved in to some degree in. Global Impact, America on Fire. Um, we have all the board members here except Dr. Jim Davis, who's is a, he's either Assembly of God or Church of God. But uh, we have him on our board for uh, safety precautions and reasons. Um, they are very gifted in organization or corporations and so on and so forth and so he's on there for that purpose uh, 
been a process and it's been an ongoing deal. A couple Saturdays ago, I was to write an article for the our new website and a newsletter that's going out. And just kind of casually, Brother Watts, I sat down. I, my nature is sometimes I put it off to the last minute. And so I got to the Modesto Missions Conference, and I plan on going over and spending the night and just kind of relaxing on Saturday. So <clears throat> Naomi come down, or come into the little office area there in the room. And I told her, I said, why don't you go on, you want to go shopping or whatever. I'm, I need to write an article. And so she left, and I sat down and started writing this article. And I was going to use the analogy of um, David, where he mentions all these great men and all this stuff. And he, I was going to use the deal about um, the sons of Issachar. Understanding of the times and what Israel ought to do, and I um, got into that, and it really opened up into something much bigger. In other words, I just sat down and used that text as an article, and then all of a sudden, I realized the Lord was really speaking to me. And so the next Sunday, I preached, and and uh, I start to say, "Oh, Moe, I preached in San Francisco, and." There's a tremendous, Brother Justin was there, he can tell you, there's a tremendous anointing that came in. And I preached about how some of these people came to David and Adullam. They were distressed, discontented, and in debt. And God used that. If you study the story, David began to defeat the enemy, but basically all he began to defeat was just roving bands, uh, looters, just small armies. But in that chapter, in that chapter, all of a sudden, you, there's a switch. And if you're not careful, you're not aware of it. There's a switch because it starts by talking about David at Adullam. And, all, and then it changes over to David at Hebron. And when David got to Hebron, it was there that the people anointed him. Not only did the people anoint him, but they began to send an army. And it begins to list these people that were coming. Each tribe would send, except for the tribe of the Benjamites, because they still wasn't sure what David was going to do. Thank you. What David was going to do to the house of Saul. And so they were just still a little leery. But all the other tribes, they would send, they would send an army or men to the army that basically were already serving under Saul, but even more become involved. And Finally, in that story, it says that this army become so great in number, it was like the host of God. The host of God. It, it, was, a, it was a magnificent number and army. In it, it talks about people that were gifted. Could, could use a sling. They were people that were, could use the right arm or the left arm. Uh, cunning men of war and then it says there were people in there that could keep rank in other words they never let the enemy penetrate the line the front line uh, it, it lists all these things and people in there and then it talks about the sons of Issachar 
who had understanding of the times knew what Israel ought to do. Then it comes on and it closes with there were even people from these tribes that came and they brought food and substance to take care of them. And so not only does David have men that are cunning and men that knew how to build weapons, but he also had people that knew, had wisdom, not just to identify the times, but also had underst- not only had understanding of the times, but had wisdom on what they ought to do. Uh, and then people that would supply and give their substance to take care of this. It all begins to fit together. And the Lord began to deal with me. He said, I promised that in the end time, I would raise up a strong apostolic army. And that army has already been to Adullam. But I'm going to call that army now to Hebron. And I'm going to bring together people that know how to keep faith. I'm going to bring together people that are cunning in war. I'm going to bring together people that know how to build instruments. I'm going to bring together people that can keep the line. I'm going to bring together people that have understanding and wisdom. I'm going to bring together people that have substance that can supply the need. I'm going to bring all this together, and I'm going to put together an end-time army. Amen. And, gentlemen, I believe that we are a vital part of that end-time army. Amen. You believe that with me here today? I believe that. Uh, We've been waiting, and I think it's time. I really do. I think it's time. Uh, I I really feel that the Lord has dealt with me. Like it's a green light. It's, it's, It's time to move this thing. It's time to go forward. We've attempted to do things in the past, and we've learned by trial and error. We've learned by mistakes. We have backed away from it and worked fervently and feverishly to correct and to uh, discipline and to bring some greater organizational things to it. And I think that the evidence is before us. Uh, I want to talk to you because everybody here is a part of this. Brother Eddings is here. He's come on as uh, strength in the organizational side of it. And his uh, staff is here. Uh, Relatives are here. Uh, We got people here from...